0: Hey, we're in Philippians chapter three. We've been journeying through the book of Philippians for the last several weeks. And uh, this morning we're going to pick up in Philippians three, verse seven. And uh, where we find ourselves in Philippians right now is uh, Paul is addressing a particular controversy uh, that was going on. And uh, it was a pretty heated controversy. Um, And so I know in our day and age, you just can't imagine Uh, controversy Um, and like when I looked you know there is some controversies going on isn't there Uh, the news last week anyone see the news last week Uh, I can have the next slide Uh, mountain bikers how many of you are mountain bikers okay Uh, next slide hikers how many of you are hikers okay how many of you are mountain bikers and hikers okay there's a big controversy uh, in the news, um, I heard it on NPR, uh, Michael Kresney is going to do a whole segment on it tomorrow at 10.30. No joke. Mountain bikers are demanding more trail access in Marin. Oh, my goodness. It is causing such a controversy in Marin because hikers are saying, no, mountain bikers are too aggressive on the trails. We don't want mountain bikers to have more access. So big controversies in the news this past week another big one another big one did you hear about this next slide lombard street <laughs> city councilor in san francisco is demanding that they start charging a toll to go down lombard street it's a big controversy because the people who live on lombard want the toll but the people who live in the surrounding neighborhoods don't want it because it's going to congest their streets cuz people aren't going to want to pay to go down this street so they'll park on our street and then go walk lombard Big controversies. Uh, I'm just grateful there aren't bigger ones. (laughs) Um, There's a controversy in Philippians 3. Uh, Paul is addressing this group of Jews who have converted to Christianity. And they are saying that Gentiles who convert to Christianity must now follow the law every jot and tittle. They must follow the purity codes. They must celebrate the Jewish feasts and festivals. And Gentile males, adults, if you're not circumcised, you must become circumcised. Man, that'd be a fun conversion day, wouldn't it? Uh, And so Paul is saying, listen, this is not okay. This is not the Jesus I have come to know and love and fall in love with. And he says, listen, if you think you can boast, I have more reason to boast. So let's look back at what Paul had to say to them. He says, uh, middle of verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And so Paul says, look at my resume. I have all kinds of reasons to boast in my accomplishments, in my achievements, in my Judaism, in everything I have done. I have great reason to boast and to have confidence. But then he says, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Three times here, Paul uses the word loss. It's loss, it's loss, it's loss. Now listen, Paul is not talking about throwing away something that's worthless to gain something else. He's talking about throwing away something that in human eyes has great value. And he says, I now have new eyes to see, and it has no value. In fact, it's garbage. Now, the Greek word Paul uses for garbage is the word skubalon. Say skubalon. Skubalon. Isn't that a fun word, skubalon? Uh, Now, do you know what I just asked you to say? Because garbage is the sanitized translation. It literally means human excrement. Uh, One Greek scholar says the best translation is crap. This should be translated crap. Now Luther, uh, the the KJV translates it dung, so they probably come the closest to getting it right, other than Luther, who in the German translation translated it another word that we sometimes use for human excrement. Uh, So Luther was like, no, I get what Paul's saying here. Uh, This is stinky poop that all of this, all of these accomplishments, all of these achievements, they stink. They are human excrement compared to the surpassing knowledge of Christ, coming to know and love Jesus. So let me simply ask you this morning... Where do you find your worth? What is your worth found in? Is it in your accomplishments? Is it in your achievements? Is it in your job? Is it in your degrees? Is it in your house? Is it in the car you drive? Is it in the relationships that you hold dear to? Or is it rooted and grounded in Christ? Because if your worth is found in anything other than knowing Christ, Paul says, "Scubalon, scubalon, it's worthless. It's stinky poop. It's worthless. Unless everything is rooted and grounded in knowing Christ." Paul Paul's like, uh, I was trying to come up with an analogy, and this isn't a great one, but I think it serves the purpose. Paul's like the Michael Burry uh, of, uh, of uh, recognizing where true worth is found. Uh, you know who Michael Burry is? He, he was the one, he was the guy who did all the research on the housing market before it became a bubble. He was the guy who discovered this thing's going to burst. And, and he, uh, he was heading a fund of about $100, 150000000 million. If you watch uh, the film, The Big Short, have you seen the film, The Big Short? This uh, is the story of Michael Burry and the housing market bubble. Michael Burry studied all this. He was uh, managing this fund, and he put all that money into shorting the housing market. And uh, he would show up at banks and ask them, will you let me, Short the market, and they all laughed at him. No one had ever done this before. And a, a line that was repeated in the film was Who doesn't pay their mortgage? Uh, and so he would go into all these banks and say, I want to basically, I am betting against the housing market. Will you take my money to let me bet about, against the housing market? And they all took his money because they said, There's no way, this guy's nuts. And uh, then people who had money in his fund started threatening to sue him because they all, everyone thought he was crazy. And then there were some other people in the industry that heard what Michael Burry was doing, started doing their own research and said, we're getting on that bandwagon. Uh, Michael Burry's fund made billions off the housing market crash because he saw it before anyone else saw it. Uh, Paul sees something of far greater worth than what other people are seeing worth in. And he's saying you can't find your worth in external reality. You, You can't find your worth in all this stuff out here. You can't find your worth in the stuff you own. You can't find your worth in your achievements. You can't find your worth in what you do. You must Find your worth rooted and grounded in a faith, love, relationship with the creator God of the universe. That is the only place to find your worth. Uh, And what that means when you read the Gospels, when you read the Scriptures, what you come to learn and understand, if we could just immerse ourselves in this truth, It's simply this, you are already enough. You are enough. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. He has already done it all on your behalf. God just simply invites us to join him in the restoration project he's already begun in Jesus. We're not the ones who restore the world. We're not the ones who heal the world. We just join God in what he's already doing. And so when we do do things, to to build God's kingdom and and to bring healing and hope to the world, when we do do those things, we don't do them to get a sense of worth and self-satisfaction out of it. We do them because Jesus invites us into this loving union with him to join him in this restoration project that he began in Jesus 2,000 years ago. So, what does it mean to know? Paul says, I want to know Christ. He says, "I, I consider everything garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. The, the word for participation is the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. Paul's saying, I want to fellowship with Christ. I want to truly know Christ in his sufferings. Now, we like the resurrection part. We don't like the suffering part so much, right? Well, we, do, we don't like the idea of suffering. But... Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to get to resurrection, you must pass through suffering. We don't get Easter Sunday without Good Friday. We just don't get it. We don't get resurrection without the cross. So so what does it mean to know? Is this just data? Is this just intellectual information about Christ? Uh, Is this just reciting a creed, Uh, Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ is coming again. Is that knowing? Uh, That's not knowing in the biblical sense. To know Christ is to experience Christ, to be found in him and him in us, and to live our lives participating in the way of the cross and the way of resurrection. So what does this look like? Well. I want to look back at Philippians 2 because I think it looks like living the way Paul has just laid out in this beautiful poem in Philippians 2. Everything in Philippians hinges around this poem, everything leading up to it and everything coming out of it. In Philippians 2, let's just start in verse 1 and we'll move down. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, there's that language again, being united of others. So Paul, Paul says, first, it's looking outside of yourself, your own wants, your own desires, your own felt needs, and what does the other need? What are their interests, and how can you participate in giving yourself away for them? Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So whatever position you find yourself in, in your relationships with one another, don't use your power, don't use your position to your own advantage. This is the way of Jesus. Jesus never used his power to his own advantage. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human Likeness. And so the creator God of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, he gives up the glory of heaven, comes to earth to what? To become a king who rules over people and lords it over them? No, he comes to earth to be a servant, a servant. And this is the way of life that Jesus invites us into, this way of servanthood, this way of self-giving love. Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so to know Christ and to participate with him in his sufferings is to willingly say, I give myself away for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. I give myself away for the sake of the world. I will put my own selfish desires and felt wants and needs aside for the sake of God's agenda in the world to give myself away to that. And the beauty of it is, is that when we do that, God always fills us back up with resurrection power to give more out. Uh, so sufferings a tough thing to talk about, not just because we are in our human nature we just don't want to suffer, uh, but because it's a mystery, right? Uh, Christ suffered on the cross. Uh, humans suffer all the time. We, we look at the world and just see deep suffering in our world, hunger, poverty, war, uh, human trafficking, uh, and these aren't things that we should just try to Explain away. Well, it's a fallen world. That yes, that's part of it, right? It's a broken, deeply flawed, broken, sinful, fallen world. And yet, there there is so many why's. Why would God allow this? Why would God do this? Why would God permit this? I I think one of the most important things we can grasp. And, and begin to try to understand about suffering is this. One, God did not create suffering. But just as importantly, two, God is a God who suffers. God is a God who meets us in our suffering. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus on the cross. There is the suffering God of the universe, dying on the cross for the sake of the world. God does not create suffering, but God does suffer on our behalf. And God meets us in our own suffering and offers us hope and healing and a longing for a new day. And the ultimate longing for the day he comes back and we see this world fully made right. Christ returning and making everything right. A few things revealed by this text in Philippians 2 regarding conforming to the way of Jesus. Uh, One, it's seeking the benefit of others, not using power or position for one's own advantage. It's a willed self-emptying, and it's obedience to God, which is true freedom. Uh, Obedience isn't uh, something we do out of guilt or condemnation, obedience frees us. When we live this way that Jesus invited us to live, it always frees us to be more fully human. It always frees us to live more fully into the way God created us to live, which is being hidden in Christ. Um, there's this interesting tension, isn't there, of being a new creation in Christ and wanting to be like Christ and yet also knowing that God created us as unique individuals and we all have this beautiful role to play in the story. We're not supposed to be clones of each other, but we are to pattern our way of life after Christ. Uh, Paul says, "I I want to know Christ, and I want to be found in Christ. So what's it What's it like to be found in Christ? I think uh, all analogies of this really end up breaking down. But one, what's this? A vase, all right. So that's a vase. This is you, or us. Thank you, Mary Beth. Uh, so, you see you, and you see the vase, and now, couldn't get the person to stand up. Uh, now what do you see? Person in a vase. You, you see you, and you see the vase. You see both. So, so what if we understood our lives in Christ and when people look at us they see us but they also see Christ we're in Christ when you think of yourself what defines you what what do you think of when you think of yourself do you think of your job like if someone said who are you this core worldview question we all wrestle with who are you what would your answer be Uh, I find it interesting that one of the first questions people ask when they meet someone else is, what do you do? As if what you do defines who you are. Uh, And I think it's all good and and great to discuss vocation and uh, what you're doing in your vocation and how that gives you life. Um, But if it defines your life, if it is the source of your life rather than Jesus being the source of your life, there's something wrong, and so when we look at this, we see we see us, but we see the base. Uh, Paul's inviting us into this way of life where people see us, but they see Christ, they see us in Christ. Uh, we are rooted and grounded in Christ. you don't have one without. The other, when we're living a life that's not in Christ, we're outside of the vase and people just see us. They see our accomplishments, they see our house, they see our car. Uh, when, uh, when people look at you, what do they see? Do they see what you do and the stuff you have? None of that stuff is bad in and of itself, right? Right? There, there's a deeper reality. There's a deeper identity in which God has created us to find ourselves. And it is one that is in Christ. That, that's the invitation. So once again, I just invite you to reflect on what gives you worth. Where do you find your worth? Because Jesus invites us to find it in him. And Paul says, if it's not found in Jesus, all that other stuff, it's just on. Frankly, it's crap. It's worthless. It's meant to be cast out, discarded, burned, gone. Because the only thing that matters is experiencing loving union in Christ and living out of the fullness of that so that out of our true self in Christ, we can bring hope and healing to the world. Let's pray together. God, uh, I long for more of you, uh, and I know each person here does. We long to be found in you. And you in us. Uh, And so this morning, God, as we come and Take communion as we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Remind us, God, of your presence in us and your invitation for us to rest and find ourselves in you. God, fill us back up this morning with your resurrection power so that we can go back out and and be poured out for your sake once again, sharing in your sufferings, whatever that may look like, God. I pray that you would heal each one of us more fully so that we could be more of a healing presence in the world. I pray that you would wake each of us up more and more to the very presence of your Spirit in us and how you are holding us in love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.